Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to the Clear Money Program. I'm your host, Helen Gibson, Community Relations Coordinator at Denver Community Credit Union. Denver Community is a not-for-profit financial cooperative serving the people of the city and county of Denver. If you're interested in joining our cooperative or learning more about our Clear Money program, please visit our website, denvercommunity.coop. That's denvercommunity.coop. Today we are interviewing Marianne Hunter of the College Access Team, a division of the Colorado Department of Higher Education. Hi, Marianne. Welcome. Hi, Ellen. Thank you. So uh, before we begin with questions, can you tell me about the College Access Team, why they're interested in financial student aid and FAFSA in general? Sure. We are part of the uh, Colorado Department of Higher Education, and the College Access Team is funded by uh, the Federal College Access Challenge Grant, which is intended to... um, go out and help families break down financial barriers to getting to college. So we do that by going uh, throughout the state of Colorado and doing uh, financial aid presentations and workshops for high school students and their parents. Um, and we, we do these workshops through about all the phases of financial aid, you know, what's available, uh, how to apply, what happens after you apply, um, the whole process. We also do personal money management workshops uh, like uh, budgeting and savings and all those things that uh, high school students will need when they go into college. Um, Our staff has a lot of financial aid experience. Some of us have up to 30 years of being in the field, and uh, most of us are also bilingual, so we can provide our uh, presentations and workshops in Spanish as well. Oh, so you basically have a staff that travels statewide to try to educate people about all the financial aid so that People don't think, oh, I can't go to college because I don't have enough money. Is that? Absolutely. That's exactly what it is because we're finding that a lot of families, they, first of all, they aren't aware that there's financial aid available for them or they think that the process is too difficult. So we try and break down all those barriers and make it as easy as possible for them to apply. So when you talk about the process, are you talking about what we commonly hear as FAFSA or are you including more than that? Actually, we include the FAFSA, which is the the main application process, but we also uh, talk to them about, you know, what happens after they submit the FAFSA, how to uh, talk to the colleges when they find out what kind of financial aid they're receiving and how that's going to uh, be applied to their their student account every term to help them pay off their their education expenses. Okay, so what is FAFSA? Yes, it stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And the FAFSA is the universal application that that pretty much every college and university throughout the country will use uh, to 
to determine how much financial aid from, say, federal, state, and the colleges themselves the student can get to help them pay their educational expenses. Okay. So pretty much if you're going to college, you want to fill this out? Absolutely, yes. That's the one thing. And, and a lot of times parents will say, uh, students and parents will ask, well, you know, how much um, money do we have to make before we're not eligible for anything? And, and we encourage all students and parents to do the FAFSA at least for the first year. That way they can see uh, where they stand because there's so many other factors that are taken into consideration, not just the, the family's income and assets. Okay. So I've heard of people charging to help you fill it out. Is that a good idea or? No, it's not a good idea. <laughs> okay. And, and, we, and we warn the parents and students that they should never pay any money to any individual or any um agency to help them fill out the FAFSA because it is a free application for federal student aid, and that's the whole point. Uh, you know, we don't want to put another block in the family's um, uh, attempt to go to college by charging them to apply for financial aid. And unfortunately, there are some agencies out there that run some scams, and we've heard of families paying anywhere between 50 and $2,500 for this service, whereas uh, students and parents can get help from their counselors. They get free help from their counselors. Uh, from our college access team, from the high school financial aid uh, staff, excuse me, the college financial aid staff, as well as online. There's a lot of information on the federal government's website that will help parents walk them through. There's a 1-800 uh, uh, toll-free number that they can call, so they should never have to pay for that service. I, I My throat got caught up when you said $2,500. Oh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it can get pretty expensive. Uh, that yeah, for something that's supposed to be free. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, if they were looking for help, do you have like a phone number that they can use readily available, or a website? What website do they go to? We the, right now we're using a website that is uh, is called EducationSense.org. Okay. And what we have on that website is there are uh, there's modules to explain the financial aid process. And there's also a, um, uh, a presentation request form. Since we do this uh, kind of on a group basis, we would we would do that for uh, either high schools as well as community groups. Um, we partner, for example, with United Way, and we do these presentations in the evening for community people in that area um, at the King Trimble Center out in, in um, Curtis Park. So that's kind of how we how we. Um, uh, reach uh, families in the in in um, the Colorado area. The other thing that they can do is um, they can uh, ask questions on that website, and we can give them a, a phone number for uh, the Department of Higher Education or other areas where they can get some help. Okay. Um, so we have the FAFSA. Who files FAFSA? Do I, as an 18-year-old, sit and do the paperwork? Like, how does that work? It's usually the student and their parents because the FAFSA is going to require um, income information. And for those students who are graduating now, they're seniors and they're going on to college this coming fall in August, they will be required to, to report um, uh, information from their and their parents' 2010 tax return, things like adjusted gross income, earnings from work and that. 
And also uh, it, it wants information about the parents' savings and investments as well as the students. So pretty much both the student and the parents need to sit down, pull this information together, and, and uh, sit there at the computer and, and fill out the application. And how does it work in this? That's kind of a weird question, but if I'm a parent, is my retirement factored into that, or should I, like, is there a way to make sure that I effectively have my money put in the right accounts, or yeah, does it make sense? Here's how that works. When they're looking at assets, and, and when the, the application asks for income and, and assets, um, it's not going to assess 100% of that. So it's not going to say, oh, you know, you've got all these assets, you can use 100% of them to help your, pay your students' uh, college expenses. They're going to also build in protections. Uh, obviously, the family, uh, depending on the family size, they need a certain amount of money to maintain the family, you know, to pay mm-hmm. mortgage, food, and so forth. So they're not going to assess uh, 100% of that. They're, they're going to take a, a much, much smaller percentage of it. So the one um, uh, part of the assets that you mentioned, the retirement fund, that's not actually is not considered in there. Um, they don't, they're not asked to report retirement accounts or even um, the value of their home, the equity that they have in their home. But other things like... Um, uh, you know, things in their savings account, uh, if they have uh, stocks or bonds, IRAs, um, investments in real estate, uh, that sort of thing, they will be requested to, to put in. I remember in college I had a friend whose parents were farmers and their cows were put in. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That, that's, that it, they end up being an asset to that business. Right. <laughs> to address your question about... Um, uh, you know where to have the the the, the money in terms of assets. Um, the the assets that are in the parent's name are assessed at a lower rate. They're counted at a lower rate than those in the student's name. Okay. And okay, so you don't want to suddenly funnel a bunch of funds to your kid thinking that that'll protect you at all. You want to keep it as your parent's money. Typically, because yes, the parents are uh, attacked to the, or assessed at a lower rate. That makes sense. So, how long should I expect for this to take to fill it out to get ready for it? Is this something where I need to schedule a day to work on it, or is this something where I can do it a couple hours in the morning? I would say a couple of hours. If you pull together your income information, your income taxes you know, um, copies of uh, of your savings plans and things like that, and and have all that together, sit down in front of the computer. Their families are completing it with between 45 minutes and an hour. Oh, only 45 minutes to an hour? Mm-hmm. As long as you have your other stuff already done. That's exactly right. As long as you don't have to save and go out and go get other papers and that. If you've got it all, you could sit down and do it uh, certainly within that time frame. I remember... Hearing um, back when I did this a few years ago, we won't say how many, uh, (laughs) I remember my mom being very concerned about getting it done early, like getting it done as soon as possible because I've heard that if you wait, you might not get as much money or something like that. Does any of that sound reasonable or is that? That's exactly right. Um, what happens is every year there's always more students who are applying for financial aid than there typically is to give out. 
So we encourage uh, students and their families to fill the FAFSA out as soon after January 1. That's actually the first date every year that they can, they can do the FAFSA. To do that as soon as possible, um, every college will set their own what's called a, a financial aid priority deadline. And what that means is that this FAFSA information needs to reach the college by that date. And the, in Colorado, uh, they, they kind of cluster around two dates. Two, two dates. One is March 1st, and the other is April 1st. And the majority of the colleges have their priority dates set um, at those times. Now we tell the students to go onto the website for those colleges that they're looking at applying to, and go to the financial aid page, and it will tell them what that that priority deadline date is. So technically, what they want to do is they want to sit down and get their FAFSA done and allow at least a week for that FAFSA information to reach the colleges. It goes to them electronically. So to reach the colleges and get there by that priority filing date. Okay. And they want it there before the priority filing date. That's always the best way to do it, as soon before that as possible. And then as long as you get it in before that priority date, are is it? pretty much the same whether you did it, let's say the date is March 1. If you had it done by January 31st or you had it done by February 15th, would those two matter, like, as long as they're both before that? Usually as long as they're both before that. Some colleges may actually look at, um, you know, when they start looking at all the applications that are in on time, they may do it on sort of a first-come, first-served basis. So those that got it in, you know, in the end of January or whatever, may be considered first, uh, but again, most of them will push to get uh, as much uh, of the available aid to the students who get in by the priority deadline. Okay. And I know you said that everyone should fill it out, but what are, by financial aid, how much money could we be talking for someone? Is there like a, what's like the most you've seen someone get or the least or do you have any sort of range like that? There, you know, it's, it's hard to, to give a range because every family's financial situation is different. That's why we encourage everybody to apply because you just can't tell by, oh, you know, I make 50000 a year and that there's so many other things involved. But just to give you an idea of what kind of aid is available that the FAFSA would, would be used to consider students for, uh, there is one of the major um, grant programs from the federal government is called the Pell Grant. And uh, right now, the maximum that students are receiving, if they're eligible for the full amount, is uh, 5,500 for the school year. And that, and it can go, you know, from say 500 up to that point. Um, other types of grants from either the federal government or the state government can be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 to a couple of thousand. Um, the other uh, type of aid out there available are work study programs where. Students can work uh, part-time anywhere between 10 and 20 hours a week um, around their class schedule and their study schedule uh, to help them, you know, earn some money to for their daily living expenses. Mm -hmm. And those can be up to uh, anywhere from 1000 to 2000 per year. And there are also student loans out there that uh, there are two types of student loans that come from the federal government. And... Um, one of them is based on the, the family's financial need, we call it. In other words, how much, based on their income and assets, they'd be eligible for. And another one is awarded to students regardless of how much their parents, their family makes. 
Okay. So there's still a possibility that even though families may make too much for things like Pell Grants or other need-based aid, there are loans, there are sometimes institutional scholarships and grants that aren't based on need that they could be considered for. So, again, fill it out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> fill it out, yes. And and a lot of colleges will, will try to help the students cover the expenses, their direct expenses like tuition fees, room, board. So, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how much they're going to be paying at whatever college they're going to, um, that's at least an effort that the colleges will make. Hmm. So I um, am going to take a second and say if anyone wants to call in, uh, we do have a call-in number of 714-364-4730. So that's 714-364-4730. But I also have someone in the chat room that has a specific question for you. And she wrote, my friend was trying to enroll in community college in January of 2011, but she didn't have all of the 2010 W-2s in before the classes started. Could she have used the 2009 tax info on the FAFSA? That's a great question, and yes, she could have done that. Um, Right now, uh, the form is requiring the 2010 federal income tax information. But a lot of families, and uh, if, if you're like my husband and I, we don't send our taxes until about 11.59, the day before they're due, so that, that happens sometimes. <laughs> so um, what you can do is the FAFSA will ask if you are using completed tax information or if you're going to, if you will be filing soon and be using estimated. You can put that you're using estimated, and then you can take your 2009 federal tax form plus any 2010 income records that you have, like W-2s. We should all have our W-2s now and any other, or or payroll stubs. And and just um, estimate what you think your 2010 income tax information would be. Okay. Just to get that application in by the deadline. And then later on, when you do finish your taxes, you can go back into that same FAFSA website and update it with your actual um, um, 2010 tax information. So you can amend it later, Absolutely. basically edit it later. And you can you said you could use payroll stubs mm-hmm. if you don't have your – well, in this case, obviously they have their W-2s now, right. but it sounds like in January they did not. So they can use those. And then is that FAFSA, is it just like FAFSA.org or – Gov or here, here, this is that's an important question. It's FAFSA dot G O V. Okay, Gov G O V. Yes, they want to make sure that they do the G O V because there's another website out there that ends in C O M, and they will actually charge students when they go into that website. They'll charge them to do the FAFSA. So and that's legal? No. Well, it's legal, and uh, they've been trying to, you know, keep them from doing that. But unfortunately, it is legal to do so. And technically, all they do is they, they ask for their credit card number, charge them $100 or so, and then they and then they transfer them to the FAFSA.gov website to fill out their application, which they could have done for free to begin with. That makes me a bit more disappointed with humanity. <laughs> it is pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. Shall we write our senators and Congress people about that? That's a good way to do it. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, it's unfortunate that they can use the same, very similar sounding website, but 
it just you make sure you go to that GOV one. That's the official free site. Excellent information to know. I think that I'll use my Twitter account to tweet that exact fact out later, just in case. Please do. Help us get that word out. That would be very helpful. Okay, so you fill out the form, you get it in by the priority date, everything seems to be going fine. Then what? Do you wait for the – you said something about the college contacting you, is that – Yes, exactly. That's what will happen. Actually, about within a week after you hit the submit button on the on the FAFSA, um, the, the student is going to get what's called a student aid report. And they're going to get an email. If they put their personal email account in there, uh, the processor of the FAFSA sends them an email saying, uh, your, your FAFSA has been processed. Here is uh, your record. It's, the student aid report is technically a mirror of everything that they put down on their FAFSA. And they're told to go through and make sure everything is correct, and that's at the point where if they need to make some amendments, make some changes for, you know, taxes that have come in and so forth, they can do that. Otherwise, they just keep it for their file. And then at the same time, the financial aid offices at all those colleges that they listed on the FAFSA, they can list up to ten colleges that they want this information to go to for free. They will get that information, and when they start their processing, uh, right around now in the early spring, they will review their FAFSA information. If they have any questions or need any more documentation, like let's say a signed copy of the parents and the students' um, federal tax return for 2010, they'll contact the student. So the student needs to make sure that they check their email, their school email all the time, and tell them we need these documents by a certain deadline. Mm-hmm. And once they get all of that in and the financial aid office determines that their their application is complete, then they will um, look to see how much financial aid they can offer the student, and they will send the student what's called an award letter notification. Basically, it's going to tell them, here's the type of financial aid we can offer you and the dollar amounts. Okay, so it gets pretty specific when you're getting closer. Absolutely. Okay, I I have I know we've been focusing really on it seems like undergraduate is it worth it for a graduate student who, you know, isn't really living with their parents, maybe they're over 25, should they be filling out FAFSA too? I mean, is there any use to that? Do they get any grants? Sure, they they can fill out the FAFSA. Quite honestly, grants are kind of limited for graduate students. Most of the grants that uh, that are available to students working on their masters or or PhDs come from the colleges themselves. So they should definitely um, work with the college to see if they have their own application for things like internships and 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 uh, uh, that sort of thing. But with the FAFSA, they can apply for um, for uh, student loans. Okay. There are student loans that are available for graduate students for the most part. Um, and even if that school has a work-study program that they offer to graduate students, you know, they can use the FAFSA to, to be considered for that. Um, the fact that they're not living with their their parents, uh, in some cases, is actually a benefit to to applicants because um, they're only going to be looking at, the, at the, the student's income, not the parents as well. So... Um, you know, if the student has not been working full-time, their income is less, and that's usually an advantage when they're applying for financial aid. And that reminds me, what if you're, like, 19 and 
for some reason your parents no longer support you at all. And do you have to include them when you do your FAFSA? How does that work? You know, the the um, federal student aid programs are very, very specific about when a student doesn't have to use their parents' income. For example, the federal government, they state that um, it's the students and the parents' primary responsibility to pay for the student's education costs before um, using taxpayers' dollars in the form of grants and loans and scholarships and that sort of thing. So the student's going to be asked a series of questions to determine if they're dependent on their parents, meaning they need to use their parents' income and asset information, or independent, they don't have to use it. And if you're a graduating um, high school senior, the first question is usually the one that eliminates most students from being independent, and that question is, are you 24 years of age? So most students, until they reach the age of 24, will have to use their parents' income and asset information. There's some other questions that go along with that. Uh, For example, um, are you married? Some high school students are. In that case, they wouldn't have to use their parents' income information. Uh, Do they have a child? If they they do have dependents, they wouldn't have to use their parents' information. Oh, that's good to know. Yes. Uh, If they're in the military, um, if they're graduate students, uh, there's a series of other questions that uh, if students can answer yes to any of those questions, yes, I have a dependent, yes, I'm married, yes, I'm 24 years of age or older, then they would not have to use their parents' income information. But if they can't answer yes to any of those, they're considered dependent and they have to use their parents' income information. So a lot of times, you know, there are unfortunately um, situations where parents just won't help the students. Um, The students can actually submit the FAFSA without the parents' income information, but the only thing that the student would be considered for are federal student loans. They wouldn't be considered for grants if they're eligible for work study. Okay. And then I have one more question, and then I think we're pretty much set, although if anyone wants to try to get in one yet, they're welcome to. Um, I haven't heard a lot about this lately, but for people who are new, can you briefly say what's the difference between a subsidized loan and an unsubsidized? You bet. The types of student loans that students want to be considered for and look at are called federal uh, subsidized or unsubsidized student loans, and and make sure it says federal on there because they're backed by the federal government. Both types of loans, and the student can be eligible for either one or both of them. It depends on the financial aid office will let them know that. But basically both types of loans, subsidized and unsubsidized, have um, low and fixed interest rates. For example, the, the subsidized interest rate right now is fixed at 3.4% interest. And the unsubsidized is a little bit higher at 6.8%, but they're fixed. Also, the similarities are that when the student takes out these loans, they don't have to start making monthly payments, their principal payments, until six months after they graduate. So they've got the time while they're in school. They don't have to be you know, taking on extra jobs to make monthly loan payments. They're basically deferring those or holding those off until they graduate and then there's a six-month grace period before they start making their payments. Now, the differences between these two loans is that the subsidized Stafford loan is based on financial needs. That's the one with the lower interest rate, the 3.4% interest rate. Also, the government actually pays that 3.4% interest rate for the student while the student's in school and through that six-month grace period. 
So technically, in an, an, a subsidized Stafford loan, the student is getting an interest-free loan that they're not having to make monthly principal payments on until after they graduate. The other one, the unsubsidized, is not based on financial needs. So it doesn't. It's not based on the family's income. If a family makes a lot of income that they're not eligible for the need-based aid, they were are el probably eligible for the the um, uh, unsubsidized Stafford. In that case, that one has the higher interest rate of 6.8%, and the, that interest is starting to accrue from the moment the student gets the funds and is actually the responsibility of the student to pay. It's not paid by the federal government like the other one. So the student can either pay that interest on a quarterly basis or they can actually have it added to the end of their loan. They can have it what's called capitalized to the end of their loan. However, that makes the loan a little bit more expensive when they go into repayment because at that point, they're going to start making their monthly principal payments, and also they're going to be paying interest on the interest that's been accruing while they're in school. Okay. Well, we only have like one minute remaining, so I was hoping that maybe you could just share some important contact information so people could contact you if they had more questions. You bet. And uh, what I can do is uh, the college access team, we, we don't at this moment have a, um, uh, a central number that can be used. But if people do have questions, I can give them my uh, my office number. Okay. Um, and what they can do, we travel throughout the state most of the time, so a lot of times we're not in the office immediately. But we will get back to them as soon as we possibly can. So my name is Mary Ann Hunter. I work with the College Access Team. And this is my phone number. It is 303-866-2066. Excellent. And you mentioned the website, Education Sense? Yes, educationsense.org. Okay. And we can get on there and get some more information. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Good weekend. Okay, bye. And this is Helen Gibson again with Denver Community Credit Union, part of our Clear Money program today. We're taught, we we spoke about the FAFSA free application for student aid. Feel free to listen to any of our radio uh, shows on this website at any time. Thanks. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.